Welcome to the Emmanuel Church Podcast, where we believe God is with us and speaks to us wherever we're at, whether at work, home, or on the move. We'd love for you to be connected with us by visiting us at myemmanuelchurch.com or any social media platform using at myemmanuelchurch. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you enjoy this message. Welcome. Thank you for joining us here this morning. You can take a seat if you were watching us online. Welcome for, from the internet. Uh, go ahead and take a seat. I'm not on the internet. You're on the internet. Welcome. Welcome here. We're glad to have you here today with us. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the presence of God this morning. Amazing job. We are glad to be here. Last week we were off as we did a, a service uh, together with our Spanish service to celebrate Pastor's Day. This week we are back and we are back. Uh, we're back and we are glad that you are with us here today. Um, this month, before we get into the word, this month, uh, the last Sunday of this month, October the 31st, we are going to be having a special guest with us by the name of Monica Gutierrez. And she is a missionary associate that is itinerating, getting ready to go out to the field. And she is going to be with us here at the end of this month. So do not miss out on that. Uh, October the 31st here at our 1130 service. So we are glad. I hope that you can be with us and uh, join us for that um, as well. And if you are here for the first time watching for the first time, we're glad we have a gift for you. We want to connect with you online. If you are watching for the first time, let us know. Or if you're coming back and you want to continue to support this ministry, don't forget that you can give online, give here in person. Uh, or give through text by texting 84321. Uh, thanks again uh, for joining us being here. We are doing a series right now called Strange Encounters. And it's a series that is looks into some of the weirder stories of the Bible at times and maybe that we might not know what to do with or what to make of. And the first week of this series, I shared the story of how Jesus basically made people think he was a cannibal and started telling people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And there was more to it, of course. And that's the purpose of the series. As we get into the Word, there are stories we may not understand. There are things we might find odd or strange or just not like about the Bible. But there is purpose in what is written. There is purpose to what we can gain from it. We can learn something from it if we allow God to speak into our lives. And so this week, this is week two of this series, I have a message that is entitled The Prophet and the Bears. Already it sounds like the prophet is going against the football team or something, but no, it's just, it's just the story. And this is a weird story. To give some context, the story is about a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha is the protege or the, um, he was mentored under the, another prophet who had a very similar name, Elijah. Uh, I don't know why he picked someone that uh, had basically his same name or why it's so confusing. I often get them confused. If I'm not in the right state of mind, I will get them confused. 
But Elisha is a prophet who is uh, the protege of Elijah. And Elijah, if you know the story, or if you don't, it's okay. I'm going to tell it to you. Elijah was a man of God, and at the end of his ministry, he didn't die. The Bible tells us already a start way, weird way to start up the story. And instead of dying, God took up Elijah in a chariot made of fire. So he didn't physically die like nothing was wrong with him or anything. God just like, up, oh, time's up and took him up in a chariot of fire. Now that's something you don't see every day. And as such, there was now this space that Elijah was stepping into. The prophets of the Old Testament would often come forward and confront the people of Israel and the leaders of the nation of Israel, both the religious leaders and the royal leaders of Israel. And they would confront them about the things that they were often doing wrong, how they were leading the people astray from God. And Elijah was no stranger to that. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes from the prophet Elijah, and he challenge the prophets of Baal to a sacrifice off. I have no idea other way to say it other than that. Basically, he got two altars and he said, hey, let's do a thing where we will make a sacrifice to, on two separate altars to our gods and whatever God answers with fire, that is the true God. And so he beats the prophets of Baal and he does his sacrifice and calls fire down from heaven and God does that and he was the amazing man of God that did so much and confronted the evils of the nation of Israel. Now Elisha is in his place doing that. And there is this space that we're in. We're going to read in 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 15 to 25 where Elisha is now stepping into that role in place of Elijah. And now we pick up our story the moment where Elijah has already been taken up. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to read 2, verse 25. And it says like this, The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching Elijah being taken up, they said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, Your servants have fifty able men. Let them go look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, did I not tell you? Did I not, did I, didn't I tell you not to go? The people of the city of Elisha, the people of the city said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, the town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and he put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And when they went out to the spring and threw salt in it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I've healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day. And the word Elisha had to the word, according to the word Elisha had spoken. So Elisha is stepping into this role already. First of all, the people that were with him couldn't bear the fact that Elijah was gone. And so they said, hey, let's look for him. Let's do something uh, so that we can maybe, maybe God sent him somewhere else. Maybe he teleported him because God does that. 
That's another weird thing about the Bible. There's teleportation in the Bible. And God does that. Yeah, it's in the New Testament. Read it. The story of Philip in the book of Acts. And so God does these things. And so they're looking for Elijah. Maybe he took him somewhere else. Maybe this is what happened. So let's look for him. And so Elijah's like, no, this is, this is something that I know that God has done. And I'm stepping into this role. And so the first thing he does is immediately break a curse over Jericho. And Jericho was a city that was destroyed when the people of Israel came into the promised land. And God, and Joshua proclaimed a curse over it and said, whoever builds the city again will be cursed. He said, that if the, they build up these walls, they're going to be cursed. And the, they rebuilt the city and something bad happened to the guy who led the charge. And now the water in the city is poisoned and it's not a good situation. So Elisha immediately does, steps into his role and starts to perform miracles to this. So now he wants to do what Elijah had tasked him to. He had still set out to proclaim that God is the one true God and take the role of the idols and the other gods that were being worshipped in Israel. So he wanted to confront these people. And so he was going to the city of Bethel. And this is where we find him in verse 23. It says, And from there Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, and this is where the story gets strange. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse at them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears, some versions are very particular, say two she-bears, came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went to Mount Caramel and there, and from there returned to Samaria. So this is weird, right? Why would this happen? What What is going on in this story? It doesn't seem to make any logical sense. You know, we look at the story and it, it, we start off with some amazing things happening. There's a bunch of supernatural goings on here. Elijah, Elijah is taken up to heaven in a flaming chariot. Right after that happens, Elijah, Elisha gets his cloak and he parts the waters of the river Jordan and walks across on dry land. And then they said, let's go look for him. They can't find him. And then after that, Elisha cures the waters of a cursed city. And he's doing these amazing things. And God is performing these amazing miracles. And now Elisha just, just seems to be going about his way to do his work, to do his mission, to do what he was called to do. What he was trained to do, to proclaim the word of God. And he was going to the city of Bethel. And Bethel at the time was the center, uh, was the center for worship of the gods of Baal, the, the Baal gods. And there were different gods that they would worship and they'd set up idols to. And so it was a center point, which was a crazy thing because Bethel, the word Bethel means house of God. And that city was founded on the idea that God lived in that city. There was, Jacob had an encounter with God in that place and he named it Bethel. And he said, God lives here. This, and so he set up an altar. So that was supposed to be a place for the worship of God, yet it had been turned into a wor- place of a worship for idols. So now Elisha's making his way in a group of boys. The Bible says boys. Some people say it's young men. But this is where we have to learn some context here, historical context. 
In those days, we would probably call them boys. They were probably 12, 13, maybe teenage boys. But in ancient cultures, adulthood began a lot earlier than it does for us in America. You know, adulthood here, you, you turn 18 and you're officially like an adult. Then you can vote at 20, uh, you know, you can, you, we can vote. And then at 21, you can do other things. <laughs> and that's what people consider like you're an adult. This is your adult years. But in ancient cultures, you were an adult at a much younger age, oftentimes 12, 13 years old. You already started working in a trade. You could get married. Uh, There were all this kind of things. And so it, it wasn't strange that even though they were young, for them to be considered adults at this point in their lives. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was probably around the ages of 12 to 14 years old when she was pregnant with Jesus. The apostles were most likely in their teenage years. So this is kind of context. This is a group of boys. And it's not just a small group of boys. It's a large group of boys because the Bible tells us 42 of them got attacked by the bears. The rest of them scattered. So there must have been, I don't know, 100 at most, some people believe. But it's such a strange story. What is going on here? Why was Elisha that offended for being called bald, which most likely he was? Was he that offended from being called bald that he was like, you know what? I'm not going to let this slide. Uh, uh, God, send the bears. Just just bring the bears. And they they just come out of nowhere. And then they start attacking these kids. And it's like, what is going, why would this, a man of God, do this? What is the purpose behind this story? Because it doesn't seem to make any sense. However, there is meaning to the story. There is something that we can understand to what is going on. But before I get into what we can gain from this and what we can learn from this, I want to tackle some misconceptions about this story that people often think it's about. I've often heard this story used as a teaching to respect your elders or to respect church leadership. You know, because uh, Elisha is a man of God. He's a prophet. So it kind of fits. There are these people that are making fun of him. They're, they're, they're telling him to get lost. And it's more than that, actually. The phrase that they're using, uh, the phrase that they're using, go up, you baldy, or get out of here, baldy. The, the thing that they're saying to him is basically, we want you to be dead. The same words that they used to describe Elijah going up or dying or going into heaven, they wanted Elisha to do the same thing. We wish you weren't here. We wish you gone. We wish you dead. And in fact, baldness... You know, a lot of people are bald nowadays. People, you know, some famous people are bald. But the thing about it is, is that baldness sometimes in those days was associated with leprosy. If you had the skin disease leprosy, you would lose your hair. And so they were insulting him. They were telling him he was, that he, they wished him dead. They wished he was gone. They wished that he would just stop being there. Stop doing what he was doing. Which is weird because he was doing some amazing, pretty amazing, miraculous things. And yet, Elijah was made fun of. Elijah was told to get dead, basically. And I've often heard this passage used as a way to tell us, you need to respect pastors, you need to respect men of God and women of God, you need to do that. 
And okay, you can make that jump. You can make that jump. But there are some issues with that. The issue that with that is it promotes fear of leaders and fear of people when that is not something that we have been called to do. Because it's not just respect. There's a difference between respect and fear. You can respect someone for being a leader, but if they can call two bears at you, that's fear. Like, I mean, who can do that? I don't know anybody that can just be like, bears, come. I, even the, even people who tame like wild animals, like in circuses and other things like that, even them, they're cautious about what they do. They take precautions. Because one thing can go wrong. Because these are wild animals. So it's not about that. If it were, we'd be promoting fear of leaders. But we're not supposed to fear people. God, Jesus tells us, don't fear people. Fear God. God can do worse things. Don't fear people, fear God. You know, God has more power than people can, so you shouldn't be afraid of people. So that's not what it is. It's not teaching us to fear people. It's not teaching us to fear leaders. Another problem with this idea is that it gives license for leaders to justify abuse. Telling them, telling them that they, it, it's okay if they're rude or mean or downright cruel to people simply because they disagree with them or they stand against them. It gives license to leaders to do that, and that should not be a thing in the church. As followers of Christ, in general, we're supposed to love people and act in love. So how can we justify that we abuse, we would abuse people or call things like this? Now, I don't know about calling down bears. I feel like this should be a crime. I don't know about two, I don't know about those thousands of years ago when Elisha was alive. If he, he, faced any backlash about this, we don't know. But today, don't call bears on people. Don't do that. Don't hurt people. That is a crime. You will go to jail. Not that they would believe you anyway. He called two bears out of the woods, and they just came and did whatever he said and attacked us. Like, that's weird. That's so weird. But it's not for that. It's not about fearing people. It's not about respecting leadership or it's not about respecting people. Although you should do that. You should not tell people to go die. You should not make fun of people just because they're bald or balding or anything like that. You know, I got thinning hair, so I'm self-conscious about that. But that's something that we should not do, of course. But this is not what the story is about. We miss something else when we make it about these things. We miss the most important thing. And that is this, that God takes the issues of idols and idol worship seriously. You see, what Elisha was trying to do was confront people in a city that had made their city about the worship of idols and false gods, the center of what they did, instead of the worship of the true God, the God that they had made covenant and promise with and said, this is our God. They had set up idols. They had set up false gods. They started following false traditions, false things, doing things that God found despicable and horrid. Child sacrifice and other horrible things that they would do to to worship these gods. And they would set up these idols that went against everything that God had commanded. And yet, they thought that they were in the right in these situations. Their idols were their gods to them. It didn't stop with Elijah. 
Elijah did some amazing miracles. He caused drought in the nation of Israel for seven years. He called down fire from heaven. He did all kinds of things to show that God was real. Yet still, the kings of Israel turned away from God. They still didn't see it. They still missed it. And what Elisha's mission was, is that his intent was to go and tell them who God truly was. The God that they had turned their backs on. God takes the issue of idols seriously. You see, idols are not something that people use a lot, not in our culture anyway. People don't make... um, Little gods out of statues and say, I'm going to worship this God. There are some faiths that do and some people that do, but that's not something that we a lot of times find very common in the, in the, the culture that we live in today. But there are other kinds of idols that we find in our lives. And so if God takes idol worship seriously, what is something that we need to do or we need to look for in our lives when it comes to idols? Because idols are dangerous. We think about them and we don't, we don't have, maybe we don't have statues, maybe we don't have things like that, but we definitely have idols in our lives. People make idols of all kinds of things. We make idols out of people that we admire. Sometimes we put them on this pedestal that they can't be knocked down from, that they're perfect, they're this, they're that. They're, they're so much better than others or so much better than this or we respect them so much that they become an idol in our lives. That they can do nothing wrong. And that closes our minds to what they say. Or that closes our minds sometimes with what other people say about them. It's like, no, you see, that's not true. That's just defamation. That's just a lie. That's this, that, that. So there are people in our lives that can become idols. We can make an idol out of work. We can work so much that that becomes our priority in life. That our fa- we, our family loses time with us. We don't take care of our own selves. We don't take care of the things we need to do. We don't we 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 don't even live as a Christian because our main focus is is our job, our career, advancing, moving forward, hustling, getting the top job, getting the most most recognition. Money can become an idol. Different from work, but similar. We can become so focused on gaining money that it doesn't matter what we do to get it. We will push people aside. We will hurt others. We'll be unfair. We will give no one else time all so that we can make that bread. (laughs) I know that's probably cringy to say, but the the reality is we do that. We put money at a number one place in our lives, and that is central. We put stuff as idols in our lives. The United States, American culture is highly consumeristic to the point where we even church shop. If this church doesn't fit my likes, or they don't dress the way I want them to dress, they don't have song music the way I want them to have music, they, they don't do this, they don't do that, they don't, you know, we do that. And okay, sure, that, that's poor, that, there is some fairness to that. You want to find a good church that you're a good fit to. But if you nitpick at every little thing, believe me, you're going to find problems with every church that they go to. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect people. You're going to find issues. But we're so consumeristic, we have to have the next best thing. 
We can't go without our favorite um, drinks, coffees, meals, places, shows, things. We always have to spend money on these things. It doesn't matter because it's worth it to us. We make idols of our things. We make idols of our possessions. We can make idols of a lot of different other things too. A a lot of times addictions can be a form of idol worship. We go back to these things because they bring us some kind of uh, good feeling. And so we return to them often and they take the place of God and everything else in our lives. And so we turn to our addictions and they become idols. Sometimes even our religion can become an idol. We become so enamored with traditions and the right way of doing things that we lose sight of what God asks us to do in our lives. Instead of loving people, we become concerned with maintaining our religious lifestyle, making sure that we're at church every Sunday and and blasting anyone who's not. That's something I've seen a lot of lately. I've seen a lot of people probably well-meaning, maybe, hopefully, I think, Saying things online as, you go everywhere else, why can't you go to church? Stop going to church online. Be there in person. And while these things might seem well-meaning because, oh, we want them to be in the house of God, we miss a lot of things. And we make idol of religion. What of people that can't come because they are, um, they are handicapped and they can't make it here? What, what, if, what if people can't make it here because of sickness? What if people can't make it because of distance? What if people can't make it because they have some kind of medical issue? And so we tell them church online is not church. You need to be here in person. And we miss. We miss that a, a whole group of people that want to know Jesus, that want to know God, simply because we are a slave to our religious traditions and what God should be. And we put him in this box. And we miss what God wants to do, what God is trying to do. And we make an idol of religion in our lives. And there's a lot more. We can make a lot of, we can make anything into an idol. We can make family into an idol where we put family above everything else, anything else. And while that might be a good thing, in most cases, even Jesus said, if you love your father, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, There's a problem. He said, it should look like you hate them in comparison to me. That's a crazy thing to say. But he said, it should look like hate in comparison. Essentially saying, I should be the center. God should be the center. But we can make family into our idols where he is more there. It is more important than anything else. And we can make anything into an idol. Anything can become an idol in our lives if we allow it to. If it starts to take over our priorities, if it starts to take place, uh, take our, our, our finances, if it starts to take uh, our time, if it starts to take place of everything else in our lives, that thing can be an idol. It can be an idol. But why do we do that? Why do we turn these things into idols? In order to confront them, we have to understand why we do that. There are three things that I think that, that why we 
go to idols. Number one is comfort. Sometimes we go to things, idols, because it's comfort. You know, everybody has like a comfort food. You have a food that's like, oh, yeah, you know what? That just makes me feel warm in my heart. <laughs> makes you happy whenever you have it, favorite place or something. It's, it brings comfort. Sometimes we have people that bring us comfort, things that bring us comfort, habits that bring us comfort, addictions that bring us comfort. And so we step into these things and they make us comfortable and they make us feel safe. And so we're like, this must be important to me. And so we put it even in the place of God because we value our comfort more than we value what God can offer us. Because God is not comfortable sometimes. In terms of idols and God, God makes us go through uncomfortable things so that we can change for the better. So that we can grow. So that we can learn. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to face the difficult things that we have going on inside of our lives. But God doesn't do that because he wants to hurt us. But he loves us. So yes, it's uncomfortable. And so that's why we would rather turn our back on God and turn to the thing that brings us comfort. Secondly, we do it out of fear. We turn to idols because of fear. Well, what would happen if I gave this up? I don't know. What would happen if I stopped? I can't do that. I don't know what my life would be like. We become fearful and anxious. I don't know what would happen if I turned my back on this because it's always been there. What would I replace it with? What, what would I, what would, what would life look like if I, I changed my life? I can't just do that. We become fearful of the future. We become fearful for ourselves. We become uncertain. We become anxious. And and we don't know. So we stick with our idols. Because even if it's wrong, or even if it's bad, or even if it's hurtful, at least we know what's going to happen. But if we leave it behind, we don't know. Because God doesn't promise us certainty all of the time. He doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen in the future. He just says, I'll be with you. You, So we go to idols because we're afraid. Because we don't know. Because we're anxious. Number three, because of control. We go to idols because we can control them. When it comes to man-made gods, guess what? We can make up whatever we want about them. We can tell... Whatever we believe about it is what we believe about it. However we want it to be, that's what it wants it to be. And that's why a lot of times we will create and shape our faith, even Christians, into a Christianity, into a Jesus that doesn't even look like the Jesus of the Bible. Because we want control. We don't want God to be in control. We want to be in control. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We want ourselves to be able to decide that. We don't like it when someone steps in and says, you know what, I've been praying for you and I think that that person that you're seeing, that God doesn't want you to see that person. It's like, oh, I've had that happen to me. I've had that happen to me. And I was just like, that's not from Jesus. And I make God whatever we wanted to. And so we do that. We do that because we want control in our lives. We want our hands to be able to be in everything and say, I want to be the deciding factor in this. I don't want to say that God knows best for me. I know best. I know best. Because I know me. But the truth is, God knows us better than we know ourselves. 
what we have to remember, what we have to realize is that idols will always let us down. Because in times of need, in times of difficulty, in times where they, where we might think they have everything that we need, they will always falter. They will always have less than what we want. Because what idols offer is always temporary. It's never permanent. Because guess what? We will have to continue to run back to that over and over again. Because guess what? The feeling wears off. The thing that made us comfortable, our feeling control that wears off and then we feel like we're losing it again. We feel like we don't have control. We don't, we, we're still afraid. We're, we're still not comfortable. We're still not safe. And we keep going back because it doesn't last. So Elisha had to confront these idols. He had to confront the religious leaders. He had to confront the kings of Israel and tell them that they were going the wrong direction. And this group of people that were standing in his way were telling him that you should go and die because we don't want your God. We want control. We want comfort. We want what we want. We don't want what God wants. We don't want the God of Israel here. He's not welcome and neither are you. So these are the people that stood in front of them. And yet God stands with open arms waiting for us. Idols will never be enough for us. We will always be unsatisfied. Whatever we make into an idol will never satisfy us. But if we have Jesus... We will find something more. And let me tell you, it's not going to look like complete satisfaction. Because guess what? God doesn't always make us comfortable. God doesn't always make us comfortable. Sometimes, like I said, we will have to face uncomfortable situations. Difficult situations. Because we follow Jesus, that does not mean there will be an absence of fear. There was a reason why angels kept showing up to people and say, fear not, because there's fear. Also because they're terrifying. If you read the Bible, angels are sometimes terrifying. And they also often come with judgment. So there's fear. There's worry. It's there. It's not going away. If we just say, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not going away. And relinquishing control is difficult. Because we feel like no one else knows us best. No one else could possibly know us better. No one else can possibly know what will turn out for the good in our lives. So we don't want to give up control. So we don't turn to Jesus, but Jesus offers more. When Jesus came to this world, he said, I offer you water that will make you never thirst again. He wasn't talking about physical water. He wasn't talking about physical needs or the physical worries of this world. He says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. I will give you a satisfaction that the world cannot understand. I will give you hope and peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Whenever we see Jesus in the Bible, he tells people not to worry and to not be afraid, often in the most worrisome and troublesome situations. 
They're in the middle of the st- a storm in, in the Sea of Galilee. And he says, don't worry about it. And he takes a nap. Not because he wants us to go through difficult things, but because he knows that he is with us and that no matter what we face, we will make it to the other side. Idols will never be able to satisfy us. Idols will never be able to fix our lives. Idols will never be able to fulfill the things that we are looking for in life. Those things are only temporary, but what Jesus offers is more. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, I have come, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief are these idols. They come to take your time. They come to take your resources. They come to take your joy. They come to take your peace. They come to take all of these things away from you. Like Jesus said, they come to steal, kill, and destroy. They don't want what's best for you. They want you dead. He says, but I have come. And I'm almost done here. He says, I have come so that you may have life. And life to the full. Not just eternal life. Because that's what we always think Jesus is talking about, like eternal life. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. But here and now, following Jesus offers us something that idols cannot. Because we can turn to our our addictions. We can turn to our idols. We can turn to our money. We can turn to our job. We can turn to, to things. We can turn to people. But ultimately, all of these things will let us down. They can never fulfill all of our expectations because we live in a broken world with broken systems and people that are looking out for their own selves. But God, who looks out for you, stands before us and says, Here I am. Turn away from the idols. Turn away from the things that would steal, kill, and destroy all that you have. And come to me for life. Come to me for life. See, there's some weird stories in the Bible, and it may not always make sense to us, but God is serious about calling ourselves to him. The Bible tells us that he is a jealous God. And I always wondered about that. That was such a, such a strange thing to me. Why is God jealous? Why is God jealous? Because humanity, His creation, His children, that's who we are. And He is jealous of us because He knows that in the end, if we put our faith in these other things, if we walk the walk of these other idols and other gods that we make for ourselves, ultimately we lead ourselves to destruction. And he becomes jealous because he does not want that for us. And he has so much better to offer. Would you stand with me this afternoon? Jesus is calling us today to the cross. See, on the cross, Jesus took up our sin. He took up our sickness. He took up our brokenness. He says, come lay that down at the altar. Lay down your idols. Get rid of them. Toss them out. 
It's not going to be an easy process, mind you. Getting idols out of our lives requires tearing down. It requires some destruction. It requires some reconstruction. That's what always happened in the Bible. When the prophets would come to a place and they would turn from God, they'd have to destroy monuments. They'd have to destroy idols. They'd have to destroy altars. They'd have to do work. They'd have to tear it down. And it doesn't feel good and it's not easy. But if we will turn to Jesus, He says, here I am to carry you through that. To walk with you. To give you strength. To give you hope. To give you love. To give you peace. In the midst of all of that, I can make you new again. And it's not an easy process and it's a lifetime process. But God will walk with us every day through it. So as we take some time to pray this morning, this afternoon, wherever we're at, what time it is. As we take some time to come to God, let's take a moment to examine ourselves. What do I need to bring to Jesus today? What have I made an idol in my life that needs to be torn down, torn down. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your opportunity to be in this place today. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives. Show us, as your word says, reveal in me all the things that are not of you. Reveal the things that are idols in my life. Help me to begin the work of tearing them down so that you can be in the rightful place in our lives, God. Lord, walk with us. Strengthen us. Help us. Give us peace in spite of fear. Give us strength in spite of weakness. Give us hope despite uncertainty. We put our lives in your hand this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. We'd love to hear your story about how you've been blessed by this ministry or how we can pray for you. To connect with us, you can email us at amen at myemmanuelchurch.com. And if you would like to support us financially, you can give online at myemmanuelchurch.com slash give. Also, if you're in the area, we'd love to see you in person for the full worship experience. Thanks again, and we hope you have a blessed week.